0: So we can all sit in meditation while listening to the Dhamma. So today it's the seventh day of this coming together that we're doing, practicing the Dhamma. And so in order to find this opportunity is something that's quite hard, because there needs to be many factors. The people need to be ready, uh, and the monastics as well and the place needs to be ready and appropriate, and we also need to have the faith as well. And so that all of you have traveled from near and far to come here through your faith, you need to find the time to be able to come here as well. And because in the space of one year, there are many different things you have to do, work that you have to engage in, so finding these eight days off That's not easy, and it requires genuine faith uh, to put down all of the other things that you have to do. Because if you were to use this time in order to find wealth, then you'd probably be able to do that to increase your wealth. But we see that if we just look for this money or wealth, And we use that, um, we can only use that to kind of look after and to live our lives. But for our hearts, they need the Dhamma. And a heart that is lacking Dhamma is a heart that has no freshness, has no vitality to it. So it's just like the trees in the rainy season. With their water, they're very fresh and bright and green and a mountain covered with trees like this looks very beautiful. But in the hot season, in many places, it becomes very dry. And it lacks beauty then. And it can be difficult uh, for people to grow crops in order to live their lives. So we see how the weather uh, changes following the state of the nature of the world. And this arises, this change is coming from the material external development that is going on. And this development is causing a lack of balance. The people are seeking out ease and happiness. So like before, travelling to places was very difficult. Either had to go on foot or go by cart or go by boat. And those boats, they didn't use uh, oil uh, but oftentimes you'd have to row them and it really wasn't easy. So travelling to Thailand from Singapore or Malaysia, it would take a very long time. And even more so if people were travelling here from Europe, say, it could take many months or even a year to reach. And that's if we didn't come across many dangers because for one traveling like that, they're surrounded by danger, uh, by storms or typhoons that might come up and so it was very dangerous. But even though that was the case, uh, nature was in a state of balance. But these days things have developed and so traveling is easier but we use fossil fuels in order to power uh, those vehicles and that's having an impact on this world. So the weather of the world is changing. And then sometimes um, when it's the rainy season it doesn't rain, and the rain isn't as much as it was before. Or uh, the snow may melt too quickly and the ice may melt and there's bacteria or germs under that ice that come up and causing illness to spread. So at the time of the Buddha there were illnesses as well and there may not have been medicine to treat those. So sometimes there were pandemics that spread about, like plagues or cholera and many, many people died from that. So like in the city of Vaisali there was a plague that spread about but through the bharami of the perfectly self-awakened Buddha that he asked his monks to chant the Ratana Sutta and the lay people chanted this as well. and There was a great rain that came and this washed away this illness. So that was through the virtues of the Buddha that that could happen. But still in this present day and age, There are these illnesses that spread about and can cause chaos all throughout the world, like what we have gone through. But these don't just go away either, because in the future there'll be another one that comes up as well. And so this is what happens, and this is talking about um, external illnesses. But what about internally? During the time of the Buddha, um, they may not have had medicines like we do now, externally, but internally they had the medicine of the Dhamma that the Buddha himself or the Sangha took to spread these teachings of the Dhamma, of the Buddha around, so that the populace could take these as a foundation and principles for their lives. And there were huge numbers of lay people who reached the level of stream entry. So like the people um, of King Bimpisara, that many of them had reached this level of stream entry. And for those who hadn't, they were firmly established in the three refuges. So this was the development of the mind during that time. But what about now? Well now the world has developed and for those who are lacking in intelligence then they will use that development um, in a way which doesn't benefit them, in a way which they just try and seek out these external pleasures, the external gratification in the sights and sounds and tastes, odours, tactile sensations it is easier to seek out these kinds of pleasures. But for those with intelligence they'll use this development to seek out the Dhamma. So that's what all of us have done. And that we have come here shows that we have this characteristic, this trait to us and we have merit as well that we have created before. And so the Buddha said that um, Having created merit, this is one of the highest blessings of life. And if we have developed vipassana, insight before, then we'll have uh, wisdom and we will know what things are appropriate and what things are inappropriate. So we can see that coming to train and practice together during these nine days, that we may do one of these retreats in the space of a year. And we try to find that opportunity and the time to come to practice the Dhamma, to study the Dhamma. And this is nourishment for our hearts. They bring our minds and our hearts to a state of freshness and joy and vitality. So we see that this arises from causes and conditions. And it's the same thing for the mind which is down, sad and gloomy. This also comes from causes and conditions. And that is this demerit or unwholesomeness that arises. And it can come up through our body, our speech or our minds. So there's a sense of self, me and mine, that comes up. And then delusion arises. And if this delusion is great, then we may harm others. So there's these bad deeds, bad karma that creates a lot of chaos in our lives and in our minds. And those bring our minds to the sad and down gloomy state. So we should know that this is what is happening and then try to abandon this. Try to put down all unwholesome deeds that may come out through our body or our speech, to be firm in the precepts and the sīla. And the sealer is something which is very skillful. But even though we may have Sīla, there's still a sense of self that comes up. There's still greed, hatred and delusion that's there in our minds. And so our minds can still be chaotic and um, agitated to not be peaceful. But we must maintain this composure, restraint over our body and speech and endure here endure at this stage, and carry on practicing like this, because the Buddha taught uh, that this patient endurance, kanti, it's uh, the quality that burns out the defilements, uh, kanti Paramang So we must train like this to endure in this way. So some people feel like they can't put up with it because their minds are really chaotic and it may be their first time doing a meditation retreat and their minds just carry on thinking without end. But when we endure, when we forbear and carry on training then the energy in our mind grows. So like the disciples of Ajahn Chah who went to stay with him during the early years of his monastery, they had to endure with many, many things. And that There wasn't much fruit that was offered to the monks and so they had to eat the skin of the fruit as well. So when they were offered bananas then they would eat not only the flesh but also the banana skins in order to feel full because if they just ate the flesh they wouldn't stay in their stomachs for long enough and they'd get hungry. So for myself, when I went to stay at Wat Nombapong, that we would get offered bananas but there wouldn't be enough for everyone, so they'd have to get split into a quarter, and so each uh, person would get a quarter of a banana. And there were about 60 monks and 20 novices, There was 80 lives there and about 60 nuns as well. So there was 140 people staying there. So it really wasn't easy but through the barami of Venerable Ajahn Chah uh, there wasn't too much food but there also wasn't too little as well. And so the monastics were able to stay there. And Why was that? Was because they weren't seeking out external pleasure, but what they were after was the Dhamma. They were keen on developing their minds. Even though externally there may not have been a lot of things, but what is really important is the Dhamma and the monks who could see that could stay on. So just like for all of us coming to practice here, that we sleep together in a dormitory, and the food is vegetarian. We may feel that that doesn't agree with our bodies, but we um, and we also keep these precepts as well. We don't harm any beings. We set our hearts on that. We set our hearts on practicing the Dhamma, on having kindness and compassion within our hearts, and being really firm in these qualities. So this is the developing of uh, the mind, but if we feel this gloominess or sadness in our hearts, then a the quality that's really important is that of sati, of mindfulness. So this is really important to know that right now the mind is sad. And why is that coming up? Well, perhaps it's because we're not firmly established in virtue we may be thinking about doing uh, various unskillful things. But then as we put those thoughts down, then our happiness grows. And we ensure that we don't harm the lives of any beings. So if we can follow through with this, then the energy of our sila-bharami, this perfection of virtue, uh, grows stronger and stronger. Even though other people may have a lot of wealth, we don't want to take that for ourselves. And why is that? It's because we see how Sila has much more value. Sila is something that has incredible value to it, it's a noble wealth. So for all of us who have come to practice together, whether here or online, that we all have this noble wealth to us. And we also have the laity and also the members of the sangha who are joining us too. We have this opportunity to meditate. We've seen the danger in all of these sense impressions. So when the mind is all stirred up and chaotic, it's very necessary for us to train in mindfulness and to make our samadhi firm, to make the mind collected and well-established. And the more mindfulness we have, the better. So we should be well-established in this quality of sati. So There's really no need to talk a lot about the theory or about the scriptures. So what's written there is the, about these 37 wings to awakening these are the qualities that take us uh, to awakening. There's not much need to talk a lot about this, to go into great detail about this. And this is something that Ajahn Chah, he wouldn't do either. But what he talked a lot about was mindfulness. So he said that when we enter into a dharma hall, then we should bow first to the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha. And then when we're going to leave, then we bow first. Upon entering into our dwellings, we bow. Before leaving our dwellings, we bow. And if we leave and we realize that we forgot to bow, then we should go back and enter into the dwelling again, bow and then leave. And this is developing a sense of humility Uh, to us, cultivating our mindfulness and recollecting the Buddha, the Dhamma and Sangha so that we feel a deep sense uh, for these qualities in our heart. We also recollect how life is not sure, but death is something that is sure. And so therefore today I will really set my heart on this practice. I will keep kindness and compassion in my heart. I won't give in to anger or a will or to greed. I'll just take what's enough to be able to live my life and I'll establish myself in mindfulness. And this mindfulness, it acts as a wall which protects us. So when we experience any sense impressions, and there's a feeling that comes up in response to those. There's a liking or a disliking, a love or a hate. And this is the proliferation of the mind that comes from ignorance. So a sense of self, me and mine, appears here and this happens very quickly. This process of dependent origination, it goes very quickly. So we may see something that we're delighted uh, by. And then the mind goes and proliferates on that. But this also happens to things that we don't like as well. And then from the things that we dislike, then tanha, this craving not to have, not to be comes up, hate arises, and it happens very quickly. So we need to have mindfulness there. And even though that mindfulness might not be up to speed, with all of these sense impressions that happen, but still we do see them, we do notice them. So we need to establish this mindfulness well. If any sadness or suffering comes up, then we are aware of that. And even though we may not want to suffer, if those causes and conditions for suffering are still present, suffering will arise. So how do we respond to that? But we need to put in our effort. We need to put in our effort in walking this path of Sīla, Samādhi and Panjā which leads us to the end of suffering. So we have generosity and we have virtue and these bring us external peace. So we have peace in our acts of body and speech and this is Sīla. But when we come to train the minds to bring them into Samādhi, We see how initially that's something that's quite difficult to do. We may sit for five minutes and feel like it's an hour but we carry on just, um, sorry, we are trying to bring about this peace but the mind still stays chaotic. It just carries on thinking without end. But we need to understand that here is where we must forbear we must endure and this kanti forbearance is something that is really important because we've seen the drawbacks of a mind which is chaotic so we must endure in order to bring that mind to peace in order for samadhi to arise and then when it starts coming up then maybe our hands feel like they've disappeared But we shouldn't be interested in that, and then the mind comes to stillness and peace. There's an emptiness that arises and we feel really at ease. And this is the happiness of samadhi that we're experiencing. There may be kanaka samadhi, this momentary collectedness, or upajara samadhi, this uh, threshold uh, collectedness. But we may also have this desire for the mind to really become still, for it to be completely still, this apana samādhi, with some access, collectedness. But this is craving that is arising. So we need to be careful around that tanha. It's like we sit in meditation and we feel at peace. And then the next time we sit, we want to experience that peace all over again. So this is a kind of uh, craving that is arising, but we need to understand that sometimes we'll be able to do this and sometimes the mind won't come into peace. Sometimes it will be very chaotic, maybe we have a lot of work and duties to do and we come to certain meditation and the mind it's not so still, and that's true for both laity and monastics. But we just know that this is what is happening. And we bring our minds into a state of balance, a, a place where it's just right, cultivating this mindfulness. And if the mind is peaceful, then we accept that. If it's not peaceful, we accept that. All the things that have passed, they've passed already. All of the chaos, all of the peace that we've experienced, Uh, before that's already gone. So today it's a new day and we establish our mindfulness anew. So try to bring the mind to a state of ease, as we carry on then we'll grow more and more skills at this and the mind will more easily be able to come to a state of peace. But this depends, well it takes time as well. So like we sit in meditation and maybe the first 40 minutes the mind is just thinking here and there, proliferating about various things. But if there's that proliferation going on we should draw that in to proliferate about a meditation object. So perhaps we contemplate how life is not sure and we all need to die, this body needs to break apart, So we can contemplate the body in that state. Like how in previous times they would often throw corpses into a charnel ground, into the forest. So we contemplate what happens to the body then, that it starts bloating and then it goes green and then it can split apart and it becomes the food of various animals around. So like maggots that are born in damp places, that they uh, can be born than these rotting bodies, and they start to consume the body. And then pus flows out, blood flows out, and various animals, uh, dogs or rats, they take this body as their food, and they start chewing away at it. And this can even happen to bodies that aren't yet dead. There was one time that I was staying in a cremation forest and I was uh, sleeping. Uh, But the mat that I was sleeping on, it was uh, quite short and so my feet were sticking out the end. And as I was sleeping there, quite deep sleep, I felt something nibbling on my toes. And uh, it was just the nature, this instinctual nature to withdraw my feet from that And so I did that instantly, and then whatever it was that was biting my toes ran away. So it was probably a mouse that uh, was biting me. But back then, they didn't have so many um, illnesses around. And so this rat ran off. But it thought that I was its food. That I was sleeping, lying down, perfectly still like this. And I thought that maybe this was a dead body, so uh, um, I'd go and eat it. And there was another time at Watnambapong, Phong, the Blajan monastery, where it was the Opposita day, the 15th day of the lunar calendar, <clears throat> in 2 a.m. and we had a cremation um, for someone who had died that day. <clears throat> so I was sitting there watching contemplating this body as it was burning but it wasn't yet completely burnt and one of the arms fell off uh, from the body and onto the ground and a dog got a sniff of the smell and came along and ate the arm. So for some people when they're alive uh, they like to eat dogs But when humans are dead, then people become the food of dogs. And so there are these ligaments or tendons which uh, hold together the bones. And we're able to move about due to them and due to the muscles and the body as well. But when the body dies and these ligaments break apart, then the bones fall apart and they scatter about and then they start decaying, and they go back into earth. So we contemplate this body, it's something that is impermanent, changing like this, and it's not something that is me. It breaks apart, and it's not beautiful. So this is a meditation theme that we can use, these ten asupa contemplations, contemplating the unattractive nature of the body. And this is an appropriate object for people who really like beauty. So, for those who are really attracted uh, to the opposite sex, then it can be useful to contemplate this body. We can contemplate ours just made up of the four elements. Because some people, when they contemplate a suba, this unattractive uh, nature, the disgusting qualities of the body, um, a hate can arise within them and they can even feel like vomiting. So if there's a lot of delight, then we contemplate like this back and forth, back and forth until the mind becomes firmly established in peace and samadhi. So these are the methods that we can use, contemplating death, contemplating asubha, If the mind is thinking and proliferating then we think about something which is good, one of these themes which help to bring the mind to peace and to stillness. For those who have a lot of faith in the Buddha then we can recollect the Buddha, recollect his great virtues, his barami that just goes on and on without end. This can be an easy way of bringing the mind to feelings of joy, giving rise to peace through thinking about the Lord Buddha. Or if we are feeling afraid, then we can recollect the Buddha as well and the mind can gather together into samadhi. But we often need to put up a fight in these situations, really endure with that. There are some people who go to stay in frightful places and a lot of fear comes up within their hearts. And so they carry on reciting this word Buddha without stop, without letting up. Because whenever their minds move away from that word, then fear arises instantly. So they recite Buddha without stopping until their mind becomes awake. And even while sleeping, there's mindfulness there when moving about, there's mindfulness there as well. And so the mind is awake all the time. Externally there may be sleep, but internally the mind is awake. You may fall asleep for 30 minutes and it can feel like 4 hours. And that's what happens when the mind is resting in samadhi. So this gives us great benefit. So for all of us who are training and practicing, we should seek out a method which brings our mind into samadhi. And then when we have that samadhi we contemplate in order to gain wisdom, in order to see anicca, dukkha, anatta. So as we carry on doing this, um, then one day we will see the Dhamma within ourselves. Samadhi gathers together and we see the Dhamma right there. And this is Pacha Tang Winyuhi, something to be known for ourselves. So we will come together, whether here or online, in order to cultivate our Barami. And that we're able to be here shows that we have this characteristic or this uh, trait that we have uh, cultivated in the past. So may you all really set your hearts on training this mind in developing them so that they grow in goodness, so that they have this vitality and freshness to them, so that they gain wisdom and become pure. And maybe that purity is just to a small degree initially. We do this following the teachings of the Buddha that he gave during this Maga Puja day to abandon all evil and unwholesomeness, to give rise to skillfulness and to make the mind pure. So may all of you grow in the Dhamma.